Let's make sure I'm on. There we are. Amen. I agree with that. Hey, didn't uh, Carlos do a great job leading this morning? Really glad that uh, Carlos is going to be uh, doing this as part of uh, the people here that lead us on Sunday mornings. It's a real blessing. Um, just give me a sec here. I'm having... There we go. Uh, I also want to just make note of... I don't know. Val. Where's Val? Maybe, I don't know. Val's in the back. Maybe somewhere. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, oh, I see her. Uh, Val probably... She might hear me, but uh, her and Jess did a great job decorating the stage for Palm Sunday. Did you know that today's Palm Sunday? Yes. Remember, what did, what did the crowd shout to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem? Hosanna to the high, to the son of David, right? That's what the crowds were shouting. And we were shouting our praise as well. But we are, we're really thankful for the, the work that the ladies did here last night to, to make this look way better than I could. So uh, this morning is the conclusion of this little mini four-part series that we've been doing in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 to 14, looking at understanding and desiring the gifts of the Spirit uh, amongst us, looking at what God has been revealing to us in His Word when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit and His presence amongst us. And I, and I hope that this understanding, that we're, as we're going through this and learning and looking at what the Lord has spoken to us through His Word, that this is stirring desire in you for the gifts of the Spirit in, in your life and in the church, that we're being stirred up for what the Lord wants to do in us. And so the question that I've been posing to us each week, some of you might be like, yeah, okay, I've heard it. But again, I want to just remind us, the question is, do I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I want more of His presence in my life? Because, do you know there's always more available? Always You'll never get to a point where there's like, oh, I've, I've got it. I've got all of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Never. Jesus said, actually, in Luke 11, he said that the Father's deep desire is to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He said that. And he, and he said that when he was talking about asking, seeking, and knocking. And that knocking there is like banging down the door. Like pounding until you give me it, Lord. I want more of your Spirit. So there's always more. And I hope that you're being stirred right now. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. And so today we come to one of the, mis, one of the most misused, misinterpreted, and probably miscontextualized, if that's a word, uh, chapters in all of the New Testament. I think that this, this chapter um, is, we actually don't see this chapter preached usually in relation to the gifts of the Spirit, which is like, Kind of mind-blowing in some respects when you look at where it's situated and what Paul's talking about here. This, 1 Corinthians 13, there's, that's where we're in this morning. It's heard frequently at weddings, actually. That's where you're going to hear this a lot. When in reality, this chapter was never written specifically about marriage at all. It's, it's actually, it's about marriage insofar as marriage is part of the church. And this chapter is all about love for one another in the church. So great. Extended to marriage? Yes. But it doesn't start there. And there's a strong case to be made that we've actually largely lost the intention of this chapter because of how we've applied it in our culture. Like, like we've literally taken it and removed it out of its context and made it something 
that it isn't in, in one respect. And so the placement of this focus on love within 1 Corinthians raises a lot of questions for us. Why did Paul do that? What, what was his motivation in doing this? Can we understand some of that? Can we, can we begin to explore and understand that? Those are all really good questions to ask. And I think some of the answers are of really significant importance to us in the church. I also think it's fair to say that none of us have mastered or attained to what this chapter presents as the pinnacle of love. No one. If you know someone that has reached this pinnacle of love whose name isn't Jesus, please tell me. And I would love to meet that person. I really would. This, this is a challenging chapter probably as challenging as you will find anywhere in the New Testament. Um, when I knew this chapter was coming up, there's a part of me that's like fear and trembling that I've got to preach this chapter. And I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not even overstating that. I, I've, I've wrestled with this over the last number of weeks. And I think that's why it's, it's crazy in one respect why this is used so heavily in weddings. Like, just think about this. This is held up as this lofty ideal in weddings before this couple that's making this covenant to one another before God. And it sounds like this is what love is. And do you know what's going to happen? Within hours of it being spoken over them, they're going to break it. They're gonna, within hours, probably the same day, they're not going to raise the lofty ideals that's being presented before them. By the way, you're going to fail at this within about three hours, probably when you're getting your pictures taken or whatever. Like, it's like, and yet we hold this up as this lofty ideal before people. Love is patient. Love is kind. Never, ever, you'll never, ever fail. And everyone who's in a marriage is like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, honestly, like, honestly, this is probably one chapter that I have, like, never been all that eager to preach from. I've never preached from this chapter before. Because of the weightiness of it. Like, there's a weight to this because it compels us to application. And if not, if it doesn't compel you to application, then literally just ignore it. Like, just, just, just ignore everything I'm going to say. See, the thing is, like, leaders, pastors, those who preach, we tend to want to speak to things or preach from things that we've applied or integrated into our lives or that we're in the process of doing. And it is much more difficult to do that about something like this that is a lifelong challenge before us that will never end. The, the challenge of 1 Corinthians 13 in, in the church and in our lives is something that will never, ever end. And so it would actually be the easiest thing to just avoid this chapter when speaking about gifts of the Spirit. Just, just pass over it, go from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 14, preach on the gifts, and then, and then just kind of leave, leave this to weddings. But if we're going to be faithful to the text, then, and this is what I believe God's heart is for the church, like I, I believe this, then we need to explore this and think deeply about the implications and the application for our lives. So, what about this love? How do we understand this chapter in relation to the gifts of the Spirit? What Paul is declaring here. And what we're going to get into is that love is essential in the body of Christ when it comes to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of his presence and the gifts. Love 
is essential in that. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church is normative. Do you know that? The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst should be completely normative. That the manifestation of the Spirit is not something we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's normative. The gifts operating is normative. And the love of God being sought and displayed by the church cannot be disconnected from that. Now, there's the thing. We have a really significant challenge with the word love in our culture that clouds this chapter for us. Because it's flippantly used all over the place. Like the same word that we use to communicate our love for a certain Starbucks drink. Anyone with me? Is the same word that we use to speak about the covenant of marriage. That's a problem. It's a word that has been strategically attached to gender and sexuality in our culture. So, and it stirs deep, deep emotions in people. Same love, love is love, etc., etc. It is, it is a, it's been politicized to an incredible level. It has also become highly individualized and personalized in that I can love what I want, who I want, when I want, how I want, and if you don't accept and agree with me, you don't love me. You see the problem we have? So how could we ever hope to understand 1 Corinthians 13 in this because of what we're in? So before we get into the text this morning, I think we need to clarify this a little bit, and that's what I want to do first. Number one, the first point I want to make is that this love we're talking about has a source. The word for love in 1 Corinthians, it's the Greek word agape. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that word, agape love. Right, like it's been high, we know that word in our Christian culture. We've heard that a lot over the years. And yet in the first century Greek culture, that was not a word that was used hardly at all. In fact, what happened is the early church felt that they had to find a word that communicated the love of God that they had experienced in the person of Jesus and what he did. And they, they did not want to use a common word for love in the culture. And so that's where the word agape was birthed. And it was, it was hardly used in the culture before. It, it's all over the New Testament. And the reason is the church is like, this love, it is so extraordinary. We need to find a new word, a new definition to communicate this in the Greek. Scripture says that this agape love is from God. It says God is love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It says in John 3, 16, right? We know this verse. It, that verse is, for God so agaped the world that he gave his one and only son, who that whoever stakes their life on Jesus will not perish but will have eternal life. Jesus is the very incarnation of this agape. He was the very embodiment of it. And so where we get into trouble and confusion is when we project our paradigms, our convictions, our opinions about what love is, onto God. And you are influenced. We are all influenced by all the stuff swirling around us and, what's, and what's, what we're being told about love. And if we begin to put that onto God, we're going to get into trouble. God is love, the word says. 
And where things go sideways is when, rather than defining this love through the lens of Scripture, we define it through our own individual lens, whatever we're looking at and whatever we think, and we define it through our life experience, our past, our family of origins, our emotional histories, our cultural influences, etc. And we go, this is what love is. And then all of a sudden you get the church accepting all sorts of things about love and you go, where did that come from? This is why followers of Jesus are so passionate about orientating their lives around Jesus and his way. And I hope that defines you. We sang it this morning. He is the way. The way of Jesus is the way we orientate our lives around that. He is the very manifestation, the embodiment of this love. So getting to know Jesus, learning to know what it means to follow his way is essential if we're to experience and manifest this love in our lives. This is how one commentary speaks of this love. It says, God's love completely transcends all human ideas or expressions of love. It is a love for the utterly unworthy, a love which proceeds from a God who is love. It is a love lavished on others without a thought of whether they are worthy to receive it or not. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover than from any merit in the beloved. It is. <laughs> The love of 1 Corinthians 13 has a source. That source is God, the Father himself, and Jesus was the embodiment of this love while on this earth. And the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals this love. It's through him that that love is shed abroad in our hearts. Okay, we know this love then. He reveals it through both his indwelling and his manifest presence in us and around us. So, Embracing God as the very embodiment of this love, not what our culture says, as our foundation. When we do that, then we're way better prepared and equipped to handle the depth of this chapter. All right. So you ready to go? Let's dig into 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read verses 1 to 3 first. Actually, I'm going to, okay, and sorry. It starts with actually the, the last half of the verse from the end of chapter 12, where Paul says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. This love we're talking about, Paul says, is the most excellent way. He, Paul ends, actually, he ends his, his focus on spiritual gifts and the body by concluding and there. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And then after he's spoken about love, then when he goes on to tongues and prophecy, chapter 14, he says, follow the way of love. Like he encapsulates everything around this love. And this way that Paul is speaking of is the way of Jesus. Jesus is, the, like I've said, he's the human embodiment of God's love for this world. The most excellent way 
is found in Jesus, and he defines what is love. And it seems as though Paul here, he's, he's highlighting the three specific areas where the Corinthians really focused and where they were really gifted. They, so he talks about tongues, he talks about prophecy, and he talks about faith. Now it's interesting, Paul, when he talks there about the tongues of angels, that's just a side note, he's adding credibility that the gift of tongues is also a heavenly language that can be given to us. So again, that's a, that's a side point. But Paul holds up these gifts before the church, and he basically says, look, guys, it's great that you're flourishing in these gifts. Wonderful. Bravo. Even if you grow to the fullest measure of them, you know, you, you excel in tongues. You have the greatest prophetic ministry this world has ever seen. Think about that. The greatest prophetic ministry this world's ever seen. That would be pretty amazing. And you move in faith where that sees God do the impossible. Like you're seeing God do things that in the natural realm are impossible. He says, great, you have all that. Even if you have all that, it's all nothing without the love of God present in your midst. That should stop us in our tracks. Whoa. Paul says if this is the case, then all their manifestations of the Spirit are actually, he says, they're just as annoying as the pagan cult worship that's going on around you, where these bang, they're banging these gongs and clashing these cymbals. They did this in Corinth. They went through the streets doing this. It was really, really annoying. They were worshiping these deities through this. And he says, you're just as annoying if you do all that and you don't have love. Do you think that raised some eyebrows in the church when he wrote that? They were like, oh my goodness. It would be like saying to us something like, oh, you know, you, you operate in all these gifts, but uh, you know what? You don't have love. You're like Cardi B. I'm not even going to go there. Like, it, 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 would, it would shock the church. Paul goes even a step further and says, if this is the case, where there's this self-exaltation of gifts at the expense of love, those living like this are nothing. Now, he's actually being really, really gracious. He's applying it to himself. Do you see what he's doing? He's writing the church and he's being really gracious by saying, if I, he's talking about what's going on in the church. And Jesus says something along these lines when he says this, and this is just as shocking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? That's all the gifts of the Spirit operating, folks. And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Whoa. To know Jesus is to follow his way and to walk in the way of Jesus is to seek to embody his love. Anointing, gifts, status, popularity, whatever, without love, Paul says, is nothing. This is kind of, this helps provide some explanation for us when it comes to someone like Ravi Zacharias. Like, you go, how is that possible? 
How is it possible that happened? He had great gifting. He had anointing. But he didn't live the way of Jesus. Now this is where we have to catch ourselves, right here. And it's very subtle. Because our brains are inclined to enter into self-justification right now and go, oh, thank goodness that's not me because I'm not like Ravi Zacharias. I didn't do that. So, And, and what happens is we, keep, we do that and we keep all this at a surface level where we don't examine ourselves. Paul, even he addresses this self-justification with two extreme examples. He says, even if you give away everything to the poor, everything, folks, not 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, everything. He says, even if you give away everything you have to the poor, which would mean you're going to be poor, he says, even if you surrender yourself to the extent, like you sacrifice yourself to the extent of death and have not love, he says, it gains nothing. Why is Paul putting such an emphasis on this way of love? Like, that's the question. Why the world around us, why wouldn't you seek to make life all about yourself and what you attain? Why not? Why wouldn't you simply try to make as much money as you can, have as much pleasure as you can on this earth as humanly possible and just live it up? That's what's staring us in the face with these words. Because either we embrace this as massively important for our lives as followers of Jesus, or we just might as well live life entirely for ourselves. Like, just live it up. It, that's, that's the weightiness of this chapter. And Paul goes on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Whoa. Okay. This love is pursued. These, what's interesting here is that these are all active verbs. This, this, is, this love is something we do as opposed to what we think or what we feel. So this love has to be pursued. It has to be cultivated. Asking questions like, what am I becoming? Like the decisions that I'm making, the way that I'm living, what are they doing to me? And here's the thing. The church <laughs> is full of messed up people who are in the process of sanctification and in need of transformation of growth. We're all, we're, the church is full of it. We're all messed up. We've all got issues that we're dealing with. Every single one of us. These verses that we just read, they're not our bio. That's not my bio. This is not our default or our consistent responses. This is God's bio. This is describing the character of God and who he is. This is who Jesus is. That's incredible. Like if you want to stake your life following someone, this is who Jesus is. And so our only hope for growth and transformation in this love in us will only come out of our relationship with Jesus. 
And Jesus does this work in us alongside others. Through the presence of others who do life beside us and pursue Jesus together. See, it's a lot easier to convince myself, Paul's really loving. Like, I'm a really loving person. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, actually, if I don't have to deal with other people. As soon as I have to deal with other people, things happen that are problematic because Paul is not this. I'm sorry if that's like, you're like, what? The reality is that this is hard work. This is ongoing, requires a lot of patience, a lot of diligence, and humility. This is part of the work of discipleship in our lives, partnering with God to pursue his transformative work. This is all about character growth. This is all about emotional health. This is all about dealing with that stuff in us where we need God to work. A number of years ago, this played out in my relationship with my good friend Norm, who is a pastor as well in the city, and we used to play hockey together, and we were both pretty competitive, to say the least. Uh, and one night, that competitiveness and some things that were said that shouldn't have been said led to us almost coming to blows. In fact, we would have come to blows, I'm not kidding, if our wives hadn't stepped in and like literally said, get in your car and get in the house. And it was at that point. And here's the thing. We were in ministry together, week in and week out, working alongside one another in ministry, and this incident that we had was a culmination of a bunch of stuff that had built up in us. And there was a choice there that we had to make, and I allowed God to speak to me to confront some serious character issues in my life, some of it relating to how I played sports, and justified that. But... You know what happened is it deepened my love for Norm and invited Jesus to bring healing. And now we both, we, 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 like, we laugh about that. And we see that incident as the thing that, that changed our relationship. Like it took us to another level of friendship and commitment to one another that to this day is there. And the thing is that process though isn't over in me. Like it didn't, it, it continues and I have to choose to continue to pursue. Paul is confronting sin issues in these verses that existed amongst the people of Corinth. Jealousy, pride, selfishness. You know, a person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. And then you see the person. We all know that Paul, he's not speaking about us in these verses. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Like, that is not me. I want that to be me, but that is not always me. That is not any of us. This is describing the character of God's love, the way of Jesus and what defines it. So, like we said, today's Palm Sunday we celebrate it as the beginning of Holy Week that culminates in the passion of Jesus. Jesus entered Jerusalem. He's heralded by the crowds. Hosanna! Hosanna to the King! Hosanna to the Son of David! They thought that he was about to establish an earthly kingdom. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to establish this Jewish kingdom. He's going to reign as this king, as the Messiah. And it's going to be awesome. 
think about that. Like, that was all before Jesus. And he's like, nope, that is not my way. My way is the will of the Father to lay down my life, to suffer, to die, because that is what I need to do. He submitted to the will of his Father despite all that. Are we aware of the immense danger if we are inclined to convince ourselves that we can somehow live the exact opposite way while claiming to follow the way of Jesus? Like meaning, yeah, I'm okay with a little bit of pride. I'm okay with arrogance. A little bit of selfishness as long as I keep it manageable and as long as, you know, I say the right things and do the right things when people are looking. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay with that rather than confronting that operating in our lives. Do we recognize the immense danger of that? It is only by embracing the way of Jesus that we're going to confront our inclination to self-centeredness and to grow in our ability to walk in this agape love, which creates an environment amongst us for more and more of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why we want to pursue this love. It welcomes the Holy Spirit in our midst. All right, let's read the last part. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This love that we're talking about is eternal. These verses here is what Paul's been building up to. This love flows from God. It is the love that will never fail because it is eternal. And this is where our desire for spiritual gifts are put into perspective here for us. We should absolutely desire more of the gifts, gifts earnestly desire the gifts, but we should never desire them more than we desire the giver. The gifts are given to serve others, they're given to edify others, and to deepen our relationship with the giver. That's why they're given. Any gifts that we operate in now are imperfect and will pass away when perfection comes. That's what it says here. And Paul, he's, he's using culturally relevant terms here to explain the return of Jesus. But we should be longing for more of the Spirit, yes, and His gifts, but we should have an even deeper longing, brewing, stirring inside of us that we are going to see Jesus face to face. Like that that's, that's the culmination of all of this where we're going. We are going to see him. This is where some of the excess of the charismatic movement is dangerous. You know where things get weird and you're like, that's kind of weird. Where the focus is off of Jesus and onto ourselves, and there is stuff like that, right? I was like, I wanted to get into this. I don't have enough time, so I've actually done a podcast on this. It's going to release this week. I just spent some time just talking about this for us, so if you're interested, 
That'll be coming out this week. Perhaps the most significant takeaway for us in this is how do we create an environment for love like this to be present in our midst? How do we do this? Like really, church, how do we do this in our midst? Just Not just talking about this. How do we have this environment where we are creating room for this love to grow amongst us? It's going to take work. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take humility. Tons of it, actually. And it's going to take prayer. If we desire to see transformation and growth in the way of Jesus in our lives, and if we desire to reach people in this post-Christian culture with the hope of Jesus, then pursuit of this love has to be part of our discipleship. It has to be part of our evangelism. You know, I think that the world out there, they have so many stereotypes of the church. If they would see the church operating in radical love for one another and for the world around them, they would be drawn. Because you know what? There's a ton of people now in our post-Christian culture, they have no idea about Christianity. They have no idea about the church. They have no idea about Scripture. They are like, they really don't even, they have all sorts of stereotypes, but they don't know. They need to see radical love lived out by the followers, by followers of Jesus. That is what is going to change our culture. That. We don't have that. Forget it. Pack up. Go home. So how do we grow this in the church? Folks, how do we grow this? The Hebrew word chesed, it's a difficult word to put into English. If this seems like I'm going off, I'm not. I'm going to drop back. It's a difficult word to put into English. It's translated as steadfast love in Scripture. It speaks of enduring covenant love. It's talked about as loving kindness or the mercies of God. It's commitment to relationship. It's loyal love. All of that is kind of what defines a said love. Psalm 136 is an example of this where uh, the refrain in that psalm is over and over again, his love endures forever. It's his said. His said endures forever. His said. His said. Okay. A setting, it's the setting of the will to love regardless of how one responds. That's how God sees this. And so in our culture, this, where there's this preservation of freedom that we, that we think that we need to have, this is where this love narrows our lives. This love will narrow your life. It will limit you. It will strip you of your ego. It will die, it'll make you die to self. It draws us into union with Christ. We get to know God through this activity of love. So this is the love that God reveals to us in Christ and calls his disciples to pursue and live from. And it seems like what the early church was doing is they were trying to communicate in the Greek this chesed love, and they wanted to put it into a word in the Greek that people, that, that they, could, they could understand. And so this is where agape came from. The need for chesed attachment, so this love attachment in the church is critical for us to experience growth and transformation in our lives. There's, there's actually, there's some excellent work being done in this way in regards to our brains and how our brains actually respond to this. And so when we cultivate these joyful attachments, we put our brains into an ideal place for development 
into the character of Jesus. It's actually something that happens in our brains that God has designed. And so this is where unresolved trauma, ignoring our emotional health, it's con- and its connection to our spiritual health, it actually will short-circuit this in us. This, the, the, the idea that character in us is defined just by moral truth and choices is missing the critical importance of Christ-centered community that is committed to growing in Hased love with one another. You know why? Because Hased love amongst us actually forms our identity. So we have to think deeply about this in regards to discipleship and formation to the way of Jesus. And I am. I'm thinking really deeply about this. How do we integrate this into our church? How do we integrate this into how we function together? Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians here, when he ends the letter, one of the last things he says to them, he says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. The world around us, just think about this for a second, is defined by hypocrisy and double standards all over the place in our world. Our culture is rife, full of deception. And if we're not aware and we're actively vigilant against this, it leaks into our lives and into the church. And so we turn to Jesus. We choose to follow his way through his suffering, through his death and resurrection. He has made it possible for you to be restored. He's made it possible for you to be healed. We're brought into relationship with him, and we are filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's always more. So I want to, we're going to end, I want to invite us this morning to participate in communion this morning together remembering what Jesus has done for us and remembering what we are called to as his followers. This is what Jesus said in John 15, 12 to four, verses 12 to 14. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. He says, greater life has no one than this. To lay, one's, to da- to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And then in 1 John 3.16, it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then it says this. This is wild. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's really profound. So we're going we're gonna to take communion this morning. Yeah, go ahead. Come on, Carlin. Look like a Mary Elizabeth. Um, we're going to invite you to come up. We're going to file past. And uh, we're going to invite, if, if parents, if you want your children to take this, you're welcome to have your children take part of it. I want to encourage us, you know, if, if, we're, if we're having our children take communion, um, be talking about this at home. Be talking about why we take communion, what, what is so significant about what we're doing here. I um, want to just encourage us in that. But we're going we're gonna to think about this and receive this love from Jesus this morning as we remember what he has done for us. So.
yeah, if you, uh, Victor, if you guys want to come up, that'd be great. And um, so let's just let's just take turns filing by and, and getting our, our crackers and, and juice, and then we'll we'll take communion together. You know, if you're thinking as we're taking communion or as we're sitting, if you're like, I don't measure up to this love that is spoken of here. Like I, what you heard today, like I don't, I don't measure up to that. Like I'm probably going to go home today and I'm probably going to behave or I'm get, something's going to get me to react and I'm not going to behave the way that this love talks about. And you're right. You don't measure up. I don't measure up. 
Jesus does. And this is one of the reasons why we're taking communion this morning. We're taking communion because we are reminding ourselves of the sufficiency that Jesus has accomplished everything we need. That we are covered in his righteousness. It's not us. It's not, it's not, we, we don't have to try to attain to a certain level. We're not, we're not trying to, you know, get, get to heaven by works or by being a really good person. We are reminding ourselves together here this morning as the body of Christ of the sufficiency. I need Jesus. I am saved through his blood. It's through the shedding of, it, he, of his blood on the cross. I am saved. And we're called children, sons and daughters of God. It's incredible. And so... I think there's probably lots of that. I, I don't want this to go away like we were feeling a heaviness from this chapter and love going, oh my goodness, like I'm, how can I ever attain to that? We need to just keep pursuing Jesus. Keep walking to the way of Jesus. Keep asking the Lord to do a work in us. Keep pursuing healing. Keep pursuing emotional healing that we need. And just all that stuff. So let's, I'm going to read from Luke 22 as we take communion together. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's take these crackers and let's, as we eat these, let's do this in remembrance what Jesus has accomplished for us. We're remembering what he's done and we're also remembering that he's coming back again for his church. same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table the son of man will go as it has been decreed but woe to that man who betrays him so let's take the cup together as a symbol of shed blood of Jesus for us as we receive his forgiveness and we receive the covering of his blood over us.
Jesus, we thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you are living. Thank you that you are right now our living Savior in heaven. You are interceding for us before the throne. And you welcome us. Lord, we just, we confess where we have pride, arrogance, jealousy, selfishness operating in our lives, Lord. It's not of you. Lord, where we're prone to that, where we know that we're prone to that, where we know that we have certain inclinations to act and behave certain ways and treat other people in exactly the opposite way that this chapter speaks of. Lord, we confess that before you. We ask you that you would forgive us. Lord, we receive your grace. We thank you that when we are faithful to confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, we receive you. Everything that you are for us. Thank you that you've opened up a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you have made a way so that we can live differently. That we live according to your way. Jesus, we praise you. You're worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all of our affection. God, help us. Father, would you help us? Help us to be people who are defined by this love. Help us to grow in this love. Help us to pursue you, Jesus. Help us to seek and pursue you and your love. God, help us to be people who are defined by our love for one another. Help us in that. God, speak to us about how we can grow in that and what we can do to create an environment for that amongst us. We worship you, Jesus.